I'm beginning a new series today that I want to call Seeding the Clouds. It connects so well with the last series that I just did on motivation. But I'm turning to the book of Job, chapter 36, verse 26, beginning. Behold, God is great. Is there anybody that can say amen to that? And we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. Meaning that God is the unknowable one in the sense of you will never wrap your mind all around God. You're trying to figure him out. It's going to take a few eternities to do that. And in verse 27, it says, for he draws up drops of water, which is to steal as rain from the mist. Which the clouds drop back down and pour abundantly on man. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. Let your word touch our hearts and our lives. We ask in Jesus' name and everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. I want to talk again, as I've said, and the series today is also the title of the first message of this series. And that is Seeding the Clouds. The book of Job is said by many scholars to be the oldest book of the Bible. Some say that it was written by Moses about someone who lived long before Moses was ever born. If so, the story that predates Moses we know will have to be at least 3,500 years old. Now that's amazing because Job accurately describes the scientific process of precipitation known as the hydrologic cycle. We've all studied it. I don't mean to bore you, but the hydrologic cycle is something that uh, I bring back from your childhood and school memories because it is fundamental to life on this planet. And you know how it goes. The evaporation of water occurs. Water vapor rises into the air. It becomes clouds and condenses and falls back in the form of precipitation to be evaporated or to be collected by rivers and lakes and etc. make its way to the ocean all the while evaporating again that the cycle may continue. Now the hydrologic cycle is important because water is one of the key ingredients of this of life on this planet. You're not going to live without water. It is said that you can live 30 days without food, 3 days without water and you're going to lose your life. About 75% of our planet is water, but it's not all water that you can drink. The oceans hold about 97%, a little less than that, of the water on Earth. About 1.7% of Earth's water is stored in the polar ice caps and in glaciers. Approximately another 1.7% of Earth's water is found in lakes, rivers, and in the soil. And the way it works is that heat, the sun, reminiscent of our sun, our Lord who rules over everything. Amen. The heat causes evaporation. The water then turns into water vapor. 
And its molecules are less dense than the molecules of the atmosphere, so they begin to rise. And of course, the higher up you go, the cooler the temperatures are. And so it condenses to form mist or water droplets that collect together in the form of clouds. These droplets of moisture are now heavier than the atmosphere. So they fall back to the earth in the form of some type of precipitation that can be snow, sleet, ice, hail, or if the clouds come down low enough, dew that forms on the ground. Now you might ask why it's important to talk about this, especially in church. That's science, pastor. Why are we talking about this in the house of God? It's important actually for several reasons because there are many people who do not believe the Bible is the inspired word of God Almighty and they question its authenticity and validity and teachings. They accuse the Bible of being unscientific Yet, I'm calling your attention to a phenomenon recorded in Scripture that occurred over 3,500 years ago, written over 3,500 years ago, that was only just recognized as a reality by the scientific community in the early 1900s. In other words, God said it thousands of years, 34,000 years, uh, I'm sorry, 3,400 years before science recognized the hydrologic cycle, God had already described it. And that to me is amazing. In Ecclesiastes 11 and 4, it says this regarding the hydrologic cycle. He who observes the wind will not sow. Hmm. And who, who regards the clouds will not reap. I absolutely love this verse. This is a life principle verse for me. And you would do well to underline it in your Bible or mark it in your devices. It is simply telling us that if you wait until everything gets lined up before you jump in, you're going to be waiting the rest of your life. Things never will get lined up exactly the way they ought to be. And you'll never have a harvest season. Listen to the New Living Translation of this verse. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Now, What do you think that means? What it means is this is a broken, fallen world. And in this broken, fallen world, something is always going to look wrong, be out of place, not fit in. Your ducks are never going to get all lined up in exactly the row you hoped they would get lined up in. Something will inevitably be working against you. That's what that verse means. And if you allow that to affect you, you're going to sit there the rest of your life and never fulfill your destiny. The wind will be blowing the wrong direction. It'll be too strong. It won't be strong enough. About the time you plan a family outing, the forecast will be for for rain or, or it's going to be too hot or it's going to be too cold and things will never be exactly the way you hope they are. And so this verse simply means we can extrapolate from what it says to this. We can simply deduce That in this broken, fallen world, you must, with God's help, 
learn to create and then seize the opportunities that God allows to come into your life. You don't sit back and just wait. Hello. You must get to work rolling up your shirt sleeves like these students did that are pushing on to the next level in their education. Amen. They're not sitting back waiting for everything to get perfectly lined up to get the right job, the right husband, the right wife, have the right kids, go to the right school, live in the right house, drive the right car. No, life doesn't work like that. And it's because of that that we have all heard the Latin expression, corpe diem. What that expression means is seize the day, and it's actually a biblical concept. Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. I love the book of Ecclesiastes. It is so full of extraordinary truths. But verse 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do. you got to have a hand that's looking for something to do. Whatever it finds to do, do it with your might. Why? For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. That's pretty sobering. (laughs) We're all going to the grave someday. And so if you're sitting here waiting for everything to fall in place for you to make your mark, it's not going to happen. Your hand needs to be looking for something to do. And when your hand finds it, give it everything you've got. Amen. Things will never line up just right in this life. And after you die, they're not going to line up then either. Because nothing you've learned and no business plan you could have ever put together will work once you're gone. You don't get second chances. Uh -uh. In other words, give it your best shot right now. And that brings me to cloud seeding. How many of you have ever heard of cloud seeding? Can I see your hands? How many of you? Would you raise your hands? Oh my heavens, less than a dozen people in this building have heard of cloud seeding. Cloud seeding is a weather modification program aimed at changing the amount or type of precipitation that falls from clouds. And cloud seeding is done by sprinkling or seeding the clouds with various substances in an effort to get them to release the moisture that is in them. One of its main objectives is to cause rain to fall in drought-stricken areas. For example, if they can cause clouds to release their rain, conceivably, you could turn deserts into flourishing oases and gardens again. Right now in Africa, did you know that the deserts of North Africa are spreading further and further and further south every year? They've already reached all the way up to the Mediterranean coast and now they're moving south at an unbelievable speed. And conceivably, if they do not learn to make rain or some form of irrigation, reconvert that desert, the process of desertification is going to cause Africa to soon be plunged into horrific famine. Not only Africa, India as well. And so the Sahara Desert, you might not know this, but it was once grassy plains, lakes and rivers, forest, and it's turned into desert. When they dig underneath those sands, they find the remains of huge grass savannas, lakes, forests that are no longer there. 
Amen. And so droughts hurt everybody, right? But do you know who hurts the most in a drought? It's poor people. Poor people have to struggle. And they barely eke a living as it is. And so the logic behind cloud seeding, these clouds are going overhead. If we could get them to release their rain, we can reconvert deserts back into arable land again. The United Arab Emirates has been conducting a number of experiments with this and they have managed to increase rainfall. If you've been to the UAE and I have Dubai, if you've been there, they have increased rainfall by 30% in the area where they've been seeding the clouds. Let me give you another reason why they want to seed the clouds that's even closer to home. We all know what hurricanes are, right? I've been through eight of them and one typhoon in the Pacific. I'm making that up. I lost 34 members of our family on my mother's side in Hurricane Audrey in 1958 or 59, whenever it was, way back then. I was a little bitty old guy. Amen. Hurricanes are horrific and the winds are terrible, but do you know where a lot of the damage comes from? You remember Harvey just a little bit ago? That was a photo taken of Harvey of one of our main streets. That's an 18-wheeler up at the top. and People out in boats and cars stranded and houses flooded. How many of you had houses damaged in Hurricane Harvey? Could I see your hand? Yeah, a bunch of you did. We helped a lot of people. We gave away $1.3 million. And I think it was well over 70,000 meals and clothes and everything else to help people. Amen. Now suppose... While the hurricane is still out over the ocean, before it hits land, because that's when the damage is done, they can make the clouds of that hurricane drop the water they contain. Because what did the damage here was all the water. And so they're hoping that they, through cloud seeding, can cause hurricanes to be less catastrophic, less damaging. The Chinese are really big in the cloud seeding. They used cloud seeding in the 2008 Olympics to ensure that it rained before, but not the night of the opening ceremony of the Olympics. And then they made it the clouds rain in between events so that it didn't rain during the events. Now, right away, I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, that's one reason for these crazy screwed up weather patterns. It may be. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you. All I know is that cloud seeding is moving ahead full speed. And the very first experiment was conducted right here in the United States in 1946. It was actually a collaboration between General Electric and the U.S. Air Force in a project called Project Cyrus. And it was the first attempt to modify a hurricane. That's what they were actually working on. And so the research was spearheaded by two unusual men. One of them named Irving Langmore and the other named Vincent Schaefer. And they were worlds apart in many ways, but very close together as friends. Langmore, for example, was a Nobel Prize winner, a chemist. Schaefer, on the other hand, didn't even graduate high school, but he was a a really good do-it-yourselfer. And they worked together. And you know what drew them together? They both had a common love of skiing. And Schaefer, the guy that never graduated high school, was the president of the Schenectady Ski Club. Anybody besides me ever been to Schenectady, New York? 
Okay, nobody here? I think I saw one hand. Amen, lovely place. And so they would, and, and by the way, Langmore, the Nobel Prize winning uh, laureate was, he was a member of that same ski club. So what they would do is they would climb all the way up to New Hampshire's Mount Washington, which was literally right there. And they would conduct weather experiments at the weather station at the top and ski back down. And one day when they were up at the top and it was extremely cloudy, Langmore, the Nobel laureate, looked at his assistant Schaefer and said, have you noticed? We got snow clouds all around us and no snow is falling. Only a flake every now and then. He said, you would think it'd be snowing like crazy. He said, I wonder if we could find out why and we can do something about it. So they went back to the laboratory and Schaefer requisitioned a freezer, one of those old kind like my grandma had. And you raise the lid and you put the, you know, you can the peas and all. you, You know what I mean? Freeze them, put them in there. Amen. They removed the lid, lined the inside of it with black velvet so you could see what was going on, plugged it in, cooled it down to 22 degrees, and then Schaefer blew in it. And when he did, his breath did what yours did when you walked outside during that polar vortex that we had. And it did what mine did in my own house during that polar vortex. When the temperature in our house got down to 12 degrees. Anybody remember those days? Amen. Cloud forms. So cloud forms in the freezer. And he tries to nucleate that cloud by dropping different things in it to see if he can make the cloud snow. And nothing is working. And by now we're moving into the spring. Then summer comes and falls just around the corner. And in the hottest days of summer, the poor old freezer could not keep the temperature low enough. And so Schaefer went and bought some dry ice. And there was that cloud hovering in that freezer that is outlined by black velvet. So you can see it. And he drops the block of dry ice. Actually, it was pellets of dry ice. Dropped them in there. And when he did, it started snowing in the freezer. He had inadvertently nucleated the cloud that was in that little freezer caused by his own breath. He could not wait. He couldn't wait for fall to come and then be over and winter. And it was a long, warm fall. So he was restless. But finally, November the 13th in 1946, what he did was rented a single engine plane, bought 60 pounds of dry ice pellets and flew up into a cloud that was drifting down toward uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts, about 60 miles away. But he flew with the crowd, cloud and it with, you know, put on leather gloves, of course, and he started throwing handfuls of dry ice pellets out of the window of that single engine plane. And witnesses on the ground said the cloud exploded. It suddenly began to snow like crazy because he altered the microprocesses within the cloud. And do you know what they found out? One pellet of dry ice the size of a pea was capable of producing several tons of snow. I want you to let that sink in. Because we think we got a bomb board heaven and we got a, we got, it, it takes a ton of effort to get God to release everything he's promised. No, it doesn't. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, 
I will be there in the midst. And where two or three ask anything, it shall be done. Because of this concept's potential to turn deserts into arable, productive land, they've continued experimentation. They've tried everything like silver iodide, uh, potassium iodide, even liquid propane. They use flares sometimes. Common table salt seems to be the thing that it works um, really well. And dry ice also, those pellets that I described, seem to also work exceptionally well. And there are countries all over the world that are doing this. To name a few, the United States, Russia, Germany, France, Israel, the United Arab Emirates, India is doing this. And the largest number of experiments being conducted in the world right now is in China. In the United States, many of our universities are experimenting with this. And a number of states are paying for experimentation to take place. Because they found out it's not only good... If you use this from the perspective of changing the, 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 the catastrophic devastation that could be caused by a hurricane and its killer force, you can all, and not only can you change a drought stricken area into farmland again, but you can even make it snow on the ski slopes. And so now they're actually sending planes up that are making it snow on ski slopes, like in Idaho. A picture of a plane, you can put it up there for me, please. There there we go, okay. And you see, those are some of the flares that I was talking about. Fly through a cloud, light those flares, and all of a sudden it begins to snow on your ski slopes. They're doing that in Colorado, they're doing it in Utah, New Mexico, all the western states where skiing is big, and some of the eastern states as well. Now, I got to preach to you and I got to hurry. Because I know how to make it rain. I'd sing a certain song, but it's got some bad words in it, so I'm not, but I know how to make it rain. Amen. One of the great principles of the kingdom is that you can see the clouds in your own life to make rainfall. I'm not talking about manipulating the situation or the circumstance because that's a form of control that God is opposed to. You and I all know people who try to control everybody else because they're so fragile they have to control the world they live in. Amen. So they will look good. That's not what God does. God hates control because he won't even control you. He wants you to be a child of God, but if you choose to go the wrong way, he doesn't stop you. God's not into control and manipulation. Just thought I'd let you know that. But he is into allowing you to do things that can cause a shift in the atmosphere. Somebody ought to give God some praise right now. I wonder who needs a shift in their atmosphere right now. Who am I talking to that needs something to change? You're living under an impressive spirit right now. You're living under a state of negativity. And you need a shift in the atmosphere where heaven opens up. And God begins to rain on your life. 
The scripture is clear. You can make that happen. Matthew 7 and 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open for everyone. Oh my God, did you really say that? Everyone. I need somebody in the house to say everyone. At home, everyone. Amen. You say, why am I emphasizing that? Because we often want to qualify that verse by saying, everyone who is righteous and never made a mistake and never messed up. And no, everyone. You see, none of us in this room are perfect. And nobody watching me is perfect. But I know a God who loves you so much that he said, if you will pray, he will make it rain. Hallelujah. Somebody give God some praise in this house. Hallelujah. 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 James 4 verses 2 through 3. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. That's the manipulation right there. You're jealous of what others have. But you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. Hmm. Obviously the wrong approach, right? But that scripture didn't stop right there. It goes on to say, yet you don't have what you want. You've done everything you can. You've manipulated the circumstance. You got mad at folk, tried to steal the glory, thunder, whatever you could do. Tried to insert yourself into the situation and nothing happened. You didn't get what you wanted. And the big question is why? Look at the rest of the verse. Because you don't ask God for it. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. Oh, but I got to get out and make something happen and, and do the wrong things. No, don't do the wrong things. Give it your best shot. I've already told you that. Roll up your shirt sleeves, make something happen, but be righteous in the way that you choose to do it and keep your heart and your spirit right because at the end of the day, it's God that's going to cause the rain to fall on your life. Now, why is it so important to see the clouds in your life? Number one, clouds speak of your potential, your potential. Point your finger at your own heart and say, there's potential in here that I've never tapped into yet. You were created by God with incredible potential, but potential doesn't do any good or change anything unless it is tapped into and utilized. There's incredible potential in you, but something needs to flip your switch. This sound system is amazing, but if they don't turn it on, you don't hear a thing. I keep thinking of author Malcolm Gladwell's research, and I love that. I've read a number of his books. He says that talent will get you out of the gate faster than someone who doesn't have talent. But as you can keep on running, continue the race, this is what he says, that it's going to still take both the talented guy and the untalented guy about a thousand hours to get good at what they're doing. And if you want to be really good, it's going to take the talented guy and the untalented guy about 4,000 hours to really be good. But if you want to be a Jade Simmons and play in the White House, you're going to have to put in 10,000 hours 
talented or not. That blew my mind. You mean I could play the piano like that? Yeah, you put in 10,000 hours, you can. So you know what I did? I opted out of piano. I don't have 10,000 hours to put into anything other than ministry. Amen. You might, and it might be your ministry. I'm not knocking it. The question is, how good do you want to be then? If what Gladwell said is true, the big question insofar as our personal potential is concerned is what do we want to do with our lives? How good do we want to be? You see, in the parable of the talents, Jesus teaches us an incredible lesson. And that lesson is that we will be judged by the Lord, not on the basis of what we produce, but on the basis of the potential that we had. The guy with only two talents, he only produced two. But the Lord did not rebuke him. He only produced two. What's the matter with you? No, he started with two. He used what he had. We have people here today who are former athletes, professional athletes. They didn't reach the top by missing practice every day. We have people in this room that are doctors and attorneys, and I promise you they did not reach their pinnacle by sleeping through med school or law school either. And neither are you. And there comes a time when you just have to roll up your shirt sleeves, look yourself in the mirror, and say, you're going to make it rain. Make it rain. Make it rain. Somebody ought to shout it. Make it rain. Work your potential. Work your potential. Work your potential. Number two, clouds also speak of the promises of God. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4, as his, God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and God. Oh my God, I could stop right there. Given us all things. Ooh, that pertain. Somebody ought to shout. God has given us all things that pertain to. Mm, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. Hallelujah. Y'all pardon me while I shout then. Amen. Hallelujah. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. I'm going to find it by yourself and outside God. By which, well now, this is where it gets exciting. Have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Wow, exceeding great and precious promises. That's amazing. Every believer, you have access to exceeding great and precious promises. Those are the clouds that hang over your life right now that you can tap into. And when you tap into them, guess what? That you may be partakers of the divine nature. What that means is not your old limited Adamic nature, but the unlimited divine nature of Jesus. Somebody ought to give God some praise in this house. Hallelujah. Additionally, I'm about to close clouds. Speak of life. 
That's what clouds mean. That's life up there floating around in the atmosphere. You can call them cumulus clouds. You can call them cirrus clouds. You can whatever you want to do. I'll tell you what that is. That's life. Because of their sins and the wicked leadership of Ahab and Jezebel, Israel experienced a three and a half year drought that was devastating and everything was dying because you can't live without water. And Elijah had a confrontation on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and told them, let the God who is God answer by fire. And they prayed all day, danced, cut themselves with, with, with their, their knives, blood poured out, sweat, they, they were a mess. And finally when the, <gasps> Elijah walks over and said, get out of the way and let somebody show you how this is done. And he built an altar to Jehovah God. And then he said, hey, let's do this. I want you to pour some water on the sacrifice and the altar. And they did. And he had them do it three times until there was a trench around it filled with water. Here's the point. God doesn't need any help when it comes time for a miracle. He can do it under the worst circumstances possible. Somebody in the building hear what I'm saying? God can show up and show out. Folk want to give God a hand like God don't need David Blaine working for him. Doesn't need any sleight of hand, doesn't need any magic tricks, doesn't need God is God and he can do what he wants to do. And when it comes time for a miracle, the circumstances will not stop it if you will believe God. And Elijah prayed and the fire fell and licked up the sacrifice, consumed the stones and the water. Then he went and put his head between his knees and prayed. And he prayed three times and nothing happened. Then four, then five. And each time he would send his servant to the top of the hill. And finally on the seventh time, the servant came running back down. And he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, that's good. Got up, <clears throat> dusted himself off, said, you go tell King Ahab, he better hurry and get up to the hill Samaria's built on. And he outrun Ahab and his chair, outran Ahab and his chariots to Samaria. And the rain came. What did Elijah see in a cloud? He saw life. He knew the situation was about to be reversed. It doesn't take anything big to get God to reverse a situation. I've already told you. A little bitty pea-sized pellet of carbon dioxide produced tons of snow. I'm talking to somebody here. I'm thinking of the words of a song I heard when I was a kid. Just a little talk with Jesus will make it right. You get a hold of God. God can change some things. That cloud contained life for an entire thirsty nation that was perishing. Number four, I'm really just about done. Clouds also speak of an investment into your own future and destiny. You know, one of the things that amazes me in watching people is there are folk that want you to invest in them while they don't want to invest in themselves. As a pastor, I get that a lot. Pastor, can I be on the platform? Can I speak? Can I do this? Can, what? And, and, and there, are, as you see, we use a big diversity of people. But you know, I'm going to tell you flat up. Before anybody gets here, I want to know they've served out there. I'm not being unkind. 
But if your ego needs the platform and you can't serve at a small group somewhere, I don't need that up here. We don't need ego. We need God. There's too much ego in ministry already. Too many churches have got flesh on parade. And I'm not saying that the wrong way. I love my fellow brothers and sisters. But what I'm saying is I have learned through the years that the people I can rely on to follow after God and to serve God and to be a blessing to this church and others are those who are willing to start here and work their way into ministry. And they don't mind serving whatever it is. Pastor, I'll do it. Thank you, Inspire Church, because you're a church that knows how. To serve and bless the community. Thank you. Thank you. I am grateful. Oh, it's an old story, and I don't mean to bore you, but I get letters from people who want to be in ministry. I want to be an assistant pastor at Inspire, literally. And I'm not knocking anybody. And I've done this, this, and this, and and um, I need so much money to start with, and. Yeah. And I, I, I'm kind. I always am. And in fact, me telling you this is kind of out of character for me. Because I don't like to say things like this. But I remember every time I get one of those, you know what? I think back to the <laughs> the not so good old days. When Jerry and I had two little kids, one of them still in diapers. Well, they were both still in diapers. Only two years apart. And I would park the car on the side of the road and get out and walk down the highway to pick up Coke bottles. That tells you how long ago that's been. So I could bring them to the store and sell them to get enough money to buy gasoline to get to the next city and do it again. You start at the bottom. You be the one that pours water on the hands of Elijah. Find a place to serve. Don't you worry about fighting for your own promotion. God will promote you. Amen. Tap into your own potential. Invest in your own future. And the last thing is, clouds speak of renewal. When God led Israel out of Egypt, his presence went before them in the form of a cloud. You remember that in the Bible, it turned into a pillar of fire at night. And wherever the cloud went, it blossomed. The desert did blossom like a rose. Remember, I already told you the Sahara and that whole northern region used to be forest and trees and savannas and grasslands and rivers and lakes. And then because the people worship false gods rather than God, the land perished and was cursed. And God showed up in Israel and took his people out in the form of a cloud. That cloud was his manifest presence. And wherever that cloud went, the desert started blossoming again. In other words... What used to be there came back. And I'm talking to somebody that needs renewal in their life. Isaiah 35 verse 1 says, The desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. But when the I am showed up in Israel, that's exactly what happened. God can cause your desert to blossom again. Let me talk to you about the word metanoia, which is the word for repentance as we close. Because there are people here who need God. People watching this who need God. 
We talk about repentance, we think that means that we gotta, oh God, I'm no good, I'm worthless, I'm dirty, I'm scandalous, I'll never be worth anything, I'm not worth shooting God, I'm, ter- I'm so sorry, I wish I'd never been. That's not repentance. Repentance is God, I'm sorry for what I've done and I wanna change my mind about the things that mattered to me before now. Because the word metanoia means change your mind. It means you're going down this road and you're having fun and you're partying or doing whatever you're doing. But you look a little bit further and you see the broken marriage, the kids that are wrecked, that will never be the same, who will grow up and have problems as long as they live and have problems in their marriages that they'll pass on to their kids too. And you take one look at that and you say, I don't want that for my future. Not for my kids, my family. And your flesh says, yeah, but you're having fun. And you say, if that's what it costs me, I'm not worth it. It's not worth it. And you change your mind. And you look back and say, Lord, I won't go this direction. I'm talking to somebody that needs to change their mind about the direction of their life. And I just want you to know that when you do, the cloud will follow you. And your desert will blossom again. Give God some praise as you stand. You can't just sit there and wait for everything to come together. You got to make it rain. Look at somebody and say, make it rain. Make it rain. Tell somebody, make it rain. Look at somebody and say, you're a rainmaker. Would you do that right now? You're a rainmaker. You can make it rain. While every head is bowed, if there's one person in this building that needs the Lord, wherever you may be, raise your hands right now and say, I need God in my life. God bless you and you. God bless you and you. Keep raising them, you. God bless you. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you. God bless you, dear lady. God bless you. On the risers, God bless you. Over here, this side, raise your hand. You need the Lord. Some of you had him up. God bless you, sir. I see you. I'm praying for you. Amen. With our heads bowed, Father, forgive us. We change our hearts and our minds and the way our thoughts feel about things that are wrong. We need the cloud to come be a part of our lives. I feel like a desert, like that poor lady in India was walking across where the ground was cracked so much you could stick an arm down into the fissures in the earth. That's my soul, Lord. Rain on me. Today, I want to turn from what I used to be, to be a child of God. And I ask you to be my savior in the name of Jesus. And while our heads are still bowed, I feel like I'm talking to somebody that has been a child of God and you've stumbled because everybody falls. The Bible said the righteous fall seven times. You've fallen and you don't know if the father is going to accept you back. And I'm telling you, he loves you because this is what God said about metanoia. He said, the gifts and the callings of God are without metanoia. What does that mean? God is telling you that I will never change my mind about the way I feel about you. 
your gifts and your callings, I will never take them back. Yes, you may have screwed up, but I want you to know that your destiny is still in front of you. And I'm still pulling for you. And I'll still make it rain in your life. Come on, give God some praise in this house. Give God some praise. Hallelujah. 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 Give God some praise. There's something happening here. And so, Father, I pray for every person that the enemy has tried to tell them that though they once flourished like a garden, now they're a desert that can never experience rain anymore. I want you to whisper in their heart, in their ear, that your plans for them have never changed. You still love them. You still care for them. You're still pulling for them. You're still waiting for them to come to you. You're still sitting on the front porch like Luke 15, where the father of the prodigal son waited for the return of that boy that was lost. Lord, I thank you that you never let us go. I thank you that you love us so much. And I'm praying for that person right now that you're talking to restore them, Lord. Cause their desert to become green again. Cause the flowers to blossom. Cause the anointing to return. Cause your presence to visit with them. Hallelujah. Let their worship be powerful. Let their prayers touch the very throne of God. Lord, visit with them, I pray. Restore them. In Jesus' name.